Well, once again, uh, thank you all for being with us. Uh, please be seated. Um, welcome to Christ Nation Church. And uh, we're so blessed you're able to join us. And if you're online, we welcome you. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we have an exciting morning planned. Uh, Pastor Jacques and Tina, with their beautiful children, are spending a week away, a well-deserved vacation. And they send their love to you. And I'm sure right now, just as you are online, they are huddled around their computer screen, anxiously hearing, uh, waiting to hear um, what God has to say today. So we, um, we miss you, Pastor Jacques and Tina, and uh, we'll be seeing you soon, hopefully. Um, so as I was saying before, we have an exciting morning planned. And what we're going to do is we're going to have three different speakers come up. Uh, one is going to be Han Joseph, Andre Marshall, and myself. So there's young, a little bit older, and oldest, all speaking about seasons and how we handle those seasons scripturally, uh, you know, trying to look towards the end times of our life, okay? In other words, uh, storing up eternal rewards or eternal blessings and how we handle that through the seasons of which we're going through. So without further delay, I am going to invite Han Joseph uh, to the stage. And Han, if you could come up. Thank you very much, Han. Thank you, Dave. Okay, so the title of the sermon is called Seasons. And like Dave said, we have three different people talking to you from three different stages of life. All three of us will talk to you through the lens of our particular season. Since I'm the youngest of the bunch, I'll be focusing on the younger adults, but I'm hoping what I have to say will be applicable to everyone. So as I was working on this, it actually really nailed in how much this sermon was for me as much as it was for everyone else. As a younger adult, what do we need to do in this season of our life? How do we look to the future? What's our goal? And to put it simply, our goal is to launch a fruitful life that will glorify God. So let's kind of unpack this. What does this mean and how do we do that? So at times, I see myself drifting from God. I get too involved in all the things that I have to do, that a relationship with God just becomes another thing I have to do, a box to check. Did I read the Bible today? Did I pray? Oh, I didn't read? I guess I'll read a psalm real quick to just make it up. And it's not the most important thing to me anymore. So I kind of had to reprioritize my life. So I have two points that will help us learn and realign our priorities in life. The first is you have to remain teachable throughout your entire life. So how do we remain teachable? Well, we have to be humble. There's no such thing as a humble person that is unteachable. And one of the biggest signs of humility is teachability. So Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 to 4. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So to give you guys some context, in this, uh, in this day and age, in this culture, Children had a lot of, like, very much respect for their elders. 
So it doesn't matter if you were related to them or not. You were supposed to show respect to your elders. You were supposed to listen to them. So why is Jesus telling his disciples to be like a child? So I always hear this joke older people make when they don't understand technology. They say, I'll just give this to my grandchild. He'll have this figured out in minutes. So why is it that children learn things so well? I have a niece named Sophia, and she's cute as a button, and she's a genius, but I might be a little biased. Uh, so she does this thing where she can go around to each of our family members and tell us the year, the make, and the model of the car we drive. Now, I hate to play into a stereotype, but we're Indian, so there was a lot of Hondas and Toyotas involved. But it's still amazing what she does. Children are just like sponges. They don't know a lot, and they want to learn. They see something interesting, and they have a yearning to understand how it works. Children are very teachable. It comes from a place of humility of not knowing. And Jesus tells us this is how we ought to be. In 1 Peter 5.5, it's even a command to younger people to be humble. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So why is it important to be humble and teachable? The short answer is, life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Take it from someone who has made a few mistakes. We don't have time to make them all. I had a somewhat of an overprotective father growing up, and there were times when I'm being lectured about something, I would think to myself, just let me make some of these mistakes for myself. But then some mistakes turn into a lot of mistakes. Your parents, your elders, and whoever it is in authority have already made their mistakes. Learn from them. We're not trying to take steps backwards. We're not here to stay the same every generation. We're not here to make the same mistakes. We're here to move forward. The second point that will help us align our life is to sanctify our ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing. It's one of the reasons we get up off our bed, out of our house, away from the TV. We want things in life. We want to get a good job. We want to, find a lot, we want to make a lot of money. We want to find a good spouse. We want to travel. These are all goals most of us have, and it's not a bad thing. It's the reason behind this, or the reason for these ambitions that make it good or bad. Ambition can be godly. The Apostle Paul was ambitious. His ambition was to see Christ preached throughout the known world. Ambition can be dangerous. Lucifer was ambitious. His ambition was to take God's place. So the question is, how can we be ambitious without sinning? And it all comes down to honoring God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Now, this part is important. This is the one thing you have to listen to during this sermon. Our goal in life is to glorify God in all that we do. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer or you work retail or you're an artist, a lawyer, or a stay-at-home mom. We have to make sure our ambitions in life glorify God. A good way to rein in these ambitions is to see why we want them. Do we want all these things so we can be better than other people? So we can show them how much we have? Or do we want to be the best we can be? Because one is pride. The other is because we want to do the best we can with what God has provided us. So I remember taking this uh, class a while back with a friend of mine. And when me and him get together, we get pretty competitive. And I remember in this particular class, he was always like one step ahead of me. He had the edge. I don't know what he did. And it annoyed me to no end that he was better than me. Hated it. And that's always so dangerous, that comparison. 
because as a culture, we're always comparing ourselves to each other, and it's a huge source of unhappiness for us. We see posts on Facebook and on Instagram of someone's vacation or a new car or a new house, and slowly our goals start to, start to, start to change. We think less about God in our decision-making and more about what we want. The Bible tells us this is a source of a lot of conflict. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, what, cause, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So think to yourself, is what I want something that will take me farther away from God? Or is it something I can use to honor God? Luke chapter 9, verse 25 says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? So there was a saying back, uh, back 10, 15 years ago that was pretty popular. People used to say, what would Jesus do? Now I'm proposing a new saying we can use to... We can use when we make decisions in our life. Does this glorify God? The people I choose to hang out with, how and why I do my job, where I go, what I do, do these things glorify God? Because whether we realize it or not, that's the whole reason we were put on this earth, to give glory to God. Amen. Okay, now let's have a more seasoned member of our church up here, Andre Marshall. Thank you, hon. Thank you. Hello, everyone. As I have been already introduced, my name is Andre Marshall. Um, I will be speaking with you uh, from a season of life where, you know, 30-something, maybe less or more, married with young children. And um, I want to focus on three different things, and we'll go through it just uh, in, in the order. So as, as you guys know, we live in a very complicated times right now with so many people struggling in their relationship at work, at church, at home. Many do not see eye to eye on a lot of issues. So as we start this new year, I want to talk about starting this year with an end in mind. And as Han said, we want to look at our season in life, look at the end of the season, but also look at the end of our life and what is it that we're striving for. And again, as Han already mentioned, it's to glorify God. So as, uh, as we read scripture and as we you know, get to know God, we know that God loves people. He created the world in six days and he said it was very good. And at the end of it, he created the most precious part of the creation, which is the human being. So we are to love people. I know it's profound, but just stick, stick with me. And so how should we love people? Should we just be nice to them? Should we uh, smile? Or as our pastor likes to say, you know, tell them they're beautiful. He loves that uh, sticker at Starbucks. So why is loving people so important? What does it mean according to the word of God? What does it mean in my current season in life? So I don't want to just talk about being nice, you know, giving some homeless folks a little bit of money, telling somebody they're beautiful, being nice to them. Although we should do some of those things, right? We should treat people nicely. But really what I want to focus on is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. What was the second greatest commandment after love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? I'm glad you asked. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. So given that Jesus said that right next to each other, I think it's pretty important for us to be able to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. How much more does that apply to us in the body of Christ than it does to the people in the, in the world? You know, out of all the people in the world, who has the best owner's manual on how to love people? We do. We have the greatest owner's manual on how to treat people. Aside from loving all people and, and people within the body of Christ, I want us to focus today on marriage. Again, in my season of life, 
being married, having a family, having to raise my little kids. It's something that we want to focus on. Paul had some interesting things to say about comparing Christ's love for us, the body, and how husbands and wives are to be towards each other. I think majority of you will agree the most important human relationship, aside from the one with God, is the one that we have with our spouse. And how we treat our spouse speaks volumes about, our, about us and about our character, and especially about who we are as Christians. And especially remember, those of you who are in my season, who are married with children, the little ones that you have been entrusted to raise, they're watching us very closely. They imitate us. We are raising a future generation, and they're watching us how we treat people, how we treat our spouse, how we treat each other in the church. And it is important for us to be a good role model. And again, we need to make sure that we love our neighbor and our spouse in a way that glorifies God. The Word of God is very clear about how Christians should love others, especially those that are in the body of Christ. Paul established a foundational principle of submission in Ephesians 5.21, where he wrote, Be subject to one another, which means all Christian brothers and sisters should be humble and submissive to one another. And, you know, we all hear the word subject, especially when it comes to wives, be subject to your husband. But what does it mean to be subject? What is submissive? You know, there's so many different uh, definitions around it. I want to focus on what Paul said. Submission in the context of a Christian relationship includes the idea of putting someone else and their needs above ourselves. But again, this is not for personal benefit, but rather out of reverence for Christ. So we should do those things, again, not to benefit ourselves, not to get uh, compliments or adorations, but it is because of reverence for Christ that we should submit ourselves to one another and take other people's needs higher than our own. When we serve others, we serve the Lord. And this is uh, well described within Matthew 25, 35. I think many of you are very familiar with the scripture, but I'll read through it just to kind of drive this home. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You see, no believer is superior to any other believer. Any other believer. In standing before God, they're all equal in every way. When we look at people, we should set them equal. We are not superior one to another. And Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We see a lot of the superiority, superiority complex in social media. We see the body of Christ attacking each other. We're not unified. We, um, we see comments just going back and forth about different things, and we argue thing about things that don't matter. We argue about things that we can differ in opinion. We should be able to unite and again, see each other, as Galatians says, there's no one better. There's no superiority. We all are equal in the eyes of God. The next part that I want to focus on is the one that I'm really taking dear to my heart, or I'm really focusing on myself, is how do husbands need to love their wife? And many of you are familiar with the uh, passages in Ephesians. I'll read it to you, Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
that he might present himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are a part of his body. Now, I made a note to myself, Pastor Jacques, did not see this note. Perhaps I'm going to step in some doctrine space that you'll have to clean up for me next week. But when you break your finger, you want to heal your finger. You don't hate your finger because you broke it. It's the same thing with Christ. When we are a part of his body, when one of us strays away or one of us does something wrong, he doesn't hate us. He doesn't want to rebuke us. He wants to heal us. He wants us to come home. So again, Pastor Jacques, you can clean up after, after me next week if I, if I messed it up. But that's just something that came to me when I was thinking about Christ's body. You know, we think about the body of Christ, the, the people. But if you're making the comparison here, the one that nourishes his own body, Christ wants to nourish his body, the church. So anyway, I thought it was interesting. Now, going back to the marriage and husband and how a uh, husband loves his wife. I read a commentary from my study Bible, and it said, some, it said this. I'm quoting, saving grace makes believers holy by the agency of the word of God so that we may, we may be a pure bride. And this, uh, this is an interesting, interesting part here. For husbands to love their wives as Christ does his church demands a purifying love. Christian husbands should not be able to bear the thought of anything sinful in the life of his wife that displeases God. His greatest desire for her should be that she becomes perfectly confronted to Christ so that he leads her to purity. I think this is really neat that us husbands, we need to focus on the purifying love. As Christ loves his church, how, how can we live knowing that our wives are struggling with something? Maybe they have some sin in their life. It should be our desire to help them to purify and to be cleansed and to, again, live for the glory of God. I'm not standing here saying that I've got all this figured out. I'm not saying that I'm you know, preaching to you as an expert. I'm still learning and growing in this area myself. I'm working on it. Um, you know, Vicky gives me a, a little elbow nudge once in a while, you know, hey, you're the priest of the household. Hey, um, you know, you need to make sure that you step up. The children are watching you. You know, but she does it in such a gentle way. She doesn't try to overstep her role, and she lets me, lets me, uh, lets me lead. But sometimes that nudge in the elbow, it sometimes feels like a slap in the face. Why? Because I have a guilty conscience. I know that I'm putting more focus on my career. I'm putting more focus on my work, and I kind of put that responsibility aside. So with that guilty conscience, when she comes to me and she says, hey, you know, the children needs to have you check up on them. You know, ask them how they're doing spiritually. Do they have any fears? Um, it doesn't feel like a gentle nudge. It's more like a slap because I know that I'm failing in that area. So as I speak to you, I speak to myself, and I hope we can, you know, learn together. Moving on to our season, I don't want to just talk to the men. I also want to talk to the ladies. And I already touched on the, on the part where wives, you know, be subject to your husbands. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, subject yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. So we covered what it means to submit in a biblical way just a few minutes ago, but let me just repeat it one more time. Submission in the context of a Christian relationship includes the idea of putting someone else and their needs above ourselves. This is not for per personal benefit, but rather out of reverence for Christ. Remember, you're not submitting yourself to your husband because he's qualified or because he's smarter than you or because he's more holy. You are doing it out of reverence for Christ, and by doing so, you are obedient to his word. And this is a deep subject. Maybe pastor, pastor has taught on this you know, a few different ways and marriage retreat in different ways, but we can go really deep into this. You know, can every wife submit to, every, you know, to their husbands? 
I don't want to go into that. That's something that you, you can you know do a study of your own. But there's no mincing of words in the scripture. It does say that you should submit yourself to your husband, regardless. You know, if you think you're more qualified, if you're smarter, if you're more holy than your husband is, because this is the right thing to do. Now, we men really like Ephesians 5:33, and wife must see to it that she respects her husband. What does it mean to respect your husband? You see, I love it when I make a dumb decision, and I make a few of them now and again, and then I know that I messed up. It's not a good decision. Something is, you know, went haywire. I appreciate that my wife doesn't come to me and say, I told you, you know, that's one way that she shows me respect. Um, I know that she doesn't talk badly about me behind my back. We've had a few conversations in the past that we protect each other. We come to each other with any issues or complaints that we have. So I know she doesn't talk about me behind my back, and that's, that's huge respect for me. We have little Bible studies with our kids, you know, that I lead. And I know I'm not a perfect teacher, and I can mess up, and sometimes maybe I even misquote something on the scripture, and, and Vicky will do it as a part of a conversation. She won't correct me and scold me in front of the children, saying like, hey, you're messing up the scripture. She shows me respect in a way that she just gently nudges me, and then we talk about things, and it just, it just means so much to me. Now, I touched relationships in the body of Christ, loving people. I touched on marriage. But there's also one very important part of our season, which is our children. And I didn't forget about your kids. There's a piece of you in this as well. Ephesians 6 is very clear about your role in this season and what you guys should do. And those of you that maybe are watching online, it says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So as we play the role model for you, hopefully we're doing a good job. Hopefully we're providing you a good example. As you watch us, you also have play a role in our season. Obey your mom and your dad. Do the best that you can so that we can have peace and that we, you can have a long life. So as I come in for our landing, I want to ask you a couple questions and leave you with these questions so you can ponder on those for the, for, for the week and for the time. As a parent, what priorities have I cultivated in my children's lives? Do they see us put others first? Are we living as a good example? As a husband or a wife, does my attitude reflect selfless giving as Jesus gave himself for, you know, to his bride? So as a husband, do I truly watch out for my wife the way that I, we just discussed? As a member in the body of Christ, do others see me as a person who is willing to be a blessing where possible? Are we self selfless? Are we doing it for the right reasons? So in this season, as we as we focus on these three areas with our friendships, with the body of Christ, in our marriage, in raising our children. Let's remember that it is all for glory of God. And let's keep the end in mind. And as I close, I will welcome our last season, our eldest member of the trio of our popcorn sermon, uh, Dave. Thanks, Andre. Thanks a lot. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. And I understand that we have some uh, late-breaking developments from the uh, Jacobs family. And I don't know if we uh, have any pictures ready, but here they are uh, on their vacation, all in front of the uh, computer screen and the TV screen. Hey, who's that on the TV? And that's uh, Tom and Sarah, too. Wow. Wow. Well, there they are around the... Ah, they're eating breakfast. While we're here preaching, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, hey, we're so blessed that they're having that time away. And uh, 
It's great that our pastor can have that time. So here I am. I'm the I'm the gray hair of the group. And uh, but you know, I was just back there thinking about that and before um, I looked up Proverbs twenty twenty nine and it says the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. So there. Um, seasons, living with the end in mind. Oh, here I am, staring at the golden years of my life, at a time when retirement is right around the corner. And I like to say, if my life was a football game, I'm in the fourth quarter. Like I really need to be reminded, with all the Facebook invites to social security seminars, and mail flooding in from AARP, and still more info on how to lower taxes in retirement, and 10 different ways to save money you've never considered before until you retire. Looking back when I was younger, my view on retirement was looking something like this. Labor 35, 40 years, retire at 60, and enjoy a long, comfortable retirement. Then I would have true freedom. Start living the good life, free to relax, free from expectation, free from employment. I was living with that as my motivation, my destination, my heaven on earth. I guess this is where Romans 12.2 comes in. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Without even knowing that verse, it was working in my life. Of course, with a reborn spirit and by the grace of God. I discovered the Bible holds out something far better. Something more challenging, but far more satisfying. Proverbs 20, verse 7, reads this way. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Also in Psalm 78, verse 1, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So here's three questions that I like to remind myself during this season of my life. Number one, Dave, how are you glorifying God through this season? Number two, how do I continue to live my life with an eternal mindset? And number three, am I focusing enough on storing up treasures in heaven, eternal rewards? Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 through 7. He says, Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. 
Here Paul is challenging me to live godly in all things. In my marriage, as a father, as a grandfather, to my co-workers, to my neighbors, to my church obligations, to my family, brothers and sisters, to my enemies, to my giving, just to name a few. Paul says by doing this, there holds a promise no retirement or dream can match. Godliness accumulates treasure in an account that cannot be touched by death or economic circumstances. With the world always being a temptation, I like to stay focused on those thoughts. So here are two ways that I continue living with an eternal mindset. Number one, living with enthusiasm over complacency. In Romans 12, 11, it says this, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I will be the first to admit I do not have the same energy I once had. However, my desire to please God helps me through any lack of enthusiasm. Just to encourage all of us through the seasons of our life, no matter where we're at, I believe zeal and enthusiasm in the younger days will help to sustain us through trials that we go through as we start to age. Complacency and apathy are definite friends of the flesh and enemies of my spirit. I'm well aware of this and battle them by staying in God's word and not only staying in his word, but doing his word. Enthusiasm over God's word helps me continually remain well aware of what God is doing in my life on a daily basis. Being ready at all times to help a brother in need, to encourage, to pray with someone, and bring hope to any situation. Number two, talking about living with an eternal mindset. Learning over stagnation. This is a big one for me. This past year's Bible class on Wednesdays has rekindled the desire in my heart to read and hear and understand more of the word than ever before. This was a great decision by my wife and I. It seems tempting to think that you've learned enough as you get older. But again, being stagnant when it comes to the Lord is another friend of the flesh. However, the constant accumulation of the knowledge of God has helped me remain teachable and excited to learn more. In Timothy 4, 1, Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is a great example 
of Paul exhorting me in a, to fight any lazy bones in my body. I want to talk about Paul for a second. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, which is the scripture that I just read, Paul was probably uh, just several years, maybe five years away from being killed by the Romans while he was in prison. And yet, at Paul's life, he lived to be somewhere in his middle 60s. So just a few years or somewhere around there, here he is, exhorting Timothy. Don't give up, Timothy. Preach the word. Okay, and, and encourage people. Endure to the end, as Paul did, and we know that. So that's great encouragement for me as I get older to see how Paul was. What a great example for all of us. I want to begin to close by mentioning five scripturally based ways that I can store up eternal rewards. Love for my enemies. Always looking at the big picture and praying for those who have done you harm. Number two, hospitality that cannot be repaid. Doing a good deed when you know there is no chance of being repaid. In my past, I can remember going out to restaurants, maybe sitting down eating with some friends of mine, neighbors, whatever, and uh, there's always a discussion at the end about who's going to pay, and something always comes out, you know, hey, don't rob me of my blessing. Don't rob me of my blessing this time. Well, here, and I'll show you the scripture, Jesus says the only blessing will be is when they repay you. So here, let me read the scripture. Luke 14, 12 to 14. And this is Jesus talking. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. And that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The resurrection of the righteous and eternal life. That's when, you'll, when you're in eternity, that's when you receive your reward, Jesus is saying here. Number three, talking about Scripturally-based ways to earn eternal rewards is faithfulness through trials. 1 Peter 6-7, through it reads this way. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm sure if I asked for a response and asked everyone to raise their hand who's been through trials this past year, I'm sure everyone's hand would go up. And then if you're a part of our listening audience, I'm sure yours would be up too. This has been, this has been times when Christians have been going through trials. But here, Jesus is saying, 
Keep your faith strong. Don't give up your faith. Remember your faith. Build up your faith. And you'll receive your reward when the revelation of Jesus Christ, during the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is in eternity. Hmm. Number four, faithfulness to the truth. Standing for the truth of God's word. This is why it is important for me to know God's word, to know exactly what it says, have the revelation. So when you're amongst those that are having trouble grasping or can't believe, having trouble, trouble believing, you can give them the truth. Number five, generous giving. Everyone that we, everything that we have is a gift from God. Why would I not want to give generously to others, especially with an eternal reward attached? All five of these points that I just made are moral laws that God has placed in my life, in our lives. And our response will determine eternal rewards that are stored up for us in eternity. And finally, I want to close with this. Part of living a godly life, for me, is leaving a legacy of godliness behind. I have three beautiful children, five amazing grandchildren to date. And there's no greater prayer that I would love to see answered than to have each and every one of them serving the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1 through 5, it reads this, Paul writing to Timothy, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Obviously, this scripture shows me just how important it was for Timothy to have a godly mother and a grandmother. And that's the example that I want to leave behind. I want to say one more thing about Paul. And that is that Paul did not have any children. He wasn't a father and he wasn't a grandfather. So I want to speak to anyone that may be listening where you're not a mother or a father or a grandfather or a grandmother. I want to let you know that Paul referred to Timothy as his son in the Lord. And he discipled Timothy through his younger years all the way until the day that he died. And uh, I just want that to be an example for us as we, as we continue our walks with the Lord. So finally, closing for the second time with this. No matter what season we are currently in, and I want to challenge this congregation and this online listening audience with this, how are we prioritizing our lives and living godly with the end in mind? Are we giving in to complacency in our lives? Or are we enthusiastic and teachable? Amen.